0: sorry i just want to make sure this is online for us all because there's some people who i'm sure you know would like to go back and, and look over this again and those that aren't here would love to so today we are speaking all about baptism and again an all-encompassing statement summarizing what baptism is so water baptism is only intended for those who have received the saving benefits of christ through the new birth of the holy spirit in obedience to christ's command And as a testimony to God, the church, oneself and the world, believers are baptised by water in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. Water baptism is a visual and symbolic demonstration of a person's union with Christ in the likeness of his death and resurrection. It signifies that a former way of life has been put to death and vividly depicts the release from the mastery of Satan, sin and death. So that's a very wordy statement, isn't it? And for most of us, it protest' straight over our heads. You know, it's so jam-packed, but I hope that as we go through this morning, each element of that will be a little bit clearer, clearer. So what is baptism? Well, it's a visible symbol of invisible grace. It is a discernible and tangible representation of both the invisible realities of the gospel and the Spirit's application of this gospel to our lives. Through baptism, believers have an opportunity to remember God's goodness and grace, especially as revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Baptism pictures Christ's death and resurrection, and our participation in his death and resurrection, through union to him in faith. As we enter into the waters or watch another do so, we're reminded that, that Christ was crucified and raised from the dead and that we too have died to the old self in order to live for Christ. Now, what we believe about baptism will certainly affect how we perform it. And so it's important that we try to answer some of the basic questions today and delve fully into baptism as the Bible presents it to us. Answering questions like, who should be baptised? When should we be baptised? How should we be baptised? And I hope that we answer those questions today. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is a light unto our path, that guides us and that informs us and instructs us. And this morning, as we look at your word, Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd speak to each one of us and that you'd bring unity and that you'd uh, encourage each one of us today. But particularly, we do pray for, for Michael and for John as they make this commitment today and, and, and in obedience to you, follow your command in scripture that says to be baptized. And so we just thank you that uh, we have this joyous morning this morning to celebrate baptism. Amen. Okay, so it's a visual and symbolic demonstration of a person's union with Christ in the likeness of his death and resurrection. It signifies that a former way of life has been put to death and visibly depicts the release from the mastery of Satan, sin and death. That is a glorious thing to celebrate, right? But I want to tell you what baptism doesn't do, all right? Baptism does not save you. Though grace is mysteriously mediated through baptism, it's not saving grace, but rather sanctifying grace. It's grace that helps us be more conformed to the image of Christ as we obey him in the call to be baptised. And second of all, baptism is not necessary for salvation. Without in any way diminishing the duty and delight of baptism for a believer, I think it's also important that we warn against a thinking that might suggest that salvation is dependent upon baptism. The gospel is one of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. So it's not that baptism is superfluous but it's just not necessary. It's not one of the the things that must be done for salvation. It's great to do it in obedience though. So baptism isn't what saves you, but of course it is evidence of your saving faith in Christ in submitting to Christ's command. And that's one reason why we should be baptized and that's to obey Christ. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, Jesus came and said to them, um, can we put back onto the presenter? Just run that on so I can use my clicker again. There we go. Thank you. And Jesus came and said them, to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold I'm with you always to the end of the age so this was the last command that Christ gave to his disciples to make disciples and to baptize them and so we encourage all believers to be baptized because by doing so you obey the commands of Christ another reason to be baptized is is to evidence that a person is a disciple of Christ. They are a follower of Jesus. And we find this from Acts 2, which we'll come back to a few times today. And in context, just prior to this reading, Peter has shared the gospel with a great crowd of people. And then we read this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. When they'd heard the gospel, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about three thousand souls those who heard the gospel those who received the gospel and were saved by the gospel were saved that day three thousand of them baptism is an event that they would remember for the rest of their life as evidence in their living memory of the moment that they came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ a marker if you like a line in the sand moment a monument in their memory of their saving faith in Jesus and for many that remains what baptism is for them today and it's certainly worthy of celebration and the third reason why is to follow the example of Christ Acts twenty two sixteen. and now why do you wait rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. In this passage, Paul is recounting his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus where Jesus met him. And Paul repented of his sin and became a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And Jesus' command was to not wait but to be baptized. And so another reason why is to follow example and command of Christ See, baptism is not merely a responsibility but it is a privilege we have the opportunity to evidence our trust in and love for our King through obedience in baptism we should have a similar response as the Ethiopian eunuch who when he believed the gospel as it was proclaimed to him said what prevents me from being baptized The answer is nothing it should be our joy and we should eagerly anticipate our participation in baptism the desire to be baptized should be motivated by a desire to glorify god in faithful obedience so that sort of is why right what about who who should be baptized well from the statement i read earlier water baptism is only intended for those who have received the saving benefits of Christ through the new birth of the Holy Spirit. So, in the Baptist Church, we practice what is called believers' baptism. Some might also call it confessors' baptism, which means we only baptise those who believe and confess Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Saviour. It's one reason we are hearing the testimonies of John and Mike later to hear their confession of faith. And and reading through Acts, we find baptism explicitly related to repentance, receiving the word, believing, and receiving the Holy Spirit. The pattern is is pretty clear. Believe, repent, and be baptised. And there's no explicit evidence that non-believers were baptised. Baptism in the New Testament church is always in the context of believers. From Acts 2.41, which we read earlier, So those who received his word were baptised and there were out of that day about 3,000 souls. From Acts 8.12, But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. And Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as were baptised into Christ have put on Christ. And Romans 6.3-4, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ were baptised into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. It's always believers who were baptised. But hang on Aaron, what about infant baptism? Well, there are many churches practice infant baptism. How does that fit in? Well, it is true that many churches do practice infant baptism and there's also two different types of infant baptism just to make it harder, just to really, you know, muddy the waters a bit for us all. Um, And so one of those is practiced by the Roman Catholic Church. They practice infant baptism and uh, they, they teach that all infants should be baptized at which time the child is regenerated or born again. They teach in the case of infants who are unable to exercise saving faith that the faith of the church is effective to remove original sin and bestow saving grace. That's what they teach. However, the faith of another person will not substitute... For a person's own response to the gospel and the baptismal waters hold no magical power of regeneration. While God's grace is certainly present in the waters, it is the grace of sanctification becoming more like Jesus, not regeneration or justification. The Roman Catholic understanding of baptism is precipitated upon the same system of works righteousness which stands in utter contrast to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul wrote in Galatians, a gospel of works is ultimately another gospel to be corrected or contemned. So that's Catholic baptism. You know, I was having a chat with my dad this week and we were talking about baptisms. Um, They're from churches of Christ, very similar to Baptists. And for my parents, baptism has always been the most joyous occasion of anyone's walk in faith. And uh, we're talking about Catholic how the Catholics do it and my dad said to me you know God doesn't have any grandchildren let, let that sink in God doesn't have any grandchildren it's only those in faith in Christ are his children others you are called sons and daughters of the Most High if we are f- saved by faith and that's faith alone so that's catholic baptism it basically boils down to this they baptize as an insurance policy for babies but that baptism doesn't save you because that is the faith of others the faith of a parent or a priest is not going to save you catholic infant baptism is not only poor theology but it deceives people as it has no effect on the individual i've worked with catholics And uh, many of them are like, oh, you know, I was baptised as a kid, so yeah, I've got my ticket to heaven, so I'm just going to live as I like. And then just before I die, that's when I'll sort of, I might, you know, repent of my sins and then I'll be in heaven. That's the the fruit, I guess, in one sense of, of, of that poor theology. Other denominations also practise infant baptism, but they are theologically very different. So according to Protestant Reformed theology, there might be a few who uh, understand that here today, Um, faith alone is the instrument in justification. You agree with us in this? And therefore saving grace is not bestowed in the waters. So this means that those who practice infant baptism in the Protestant and Reformed traditions are our brothers in faith in regard to the essential elements of Orthodox Christianity. There is no disagreement on us about justification by faith alone, and so we are unified in that point. But we do differ. <laughs> so, without diminishing our overwhelming agreement on the fundamentals of the faith with those who practice infant, infant baptism, justification by faith alone, it is nevertheless important to highlight where we disagree just as much to understand as to be understood. So Protestant infant baptism prescribes baptism of adults who convert to Christianity but it differs in practice from those who perform believers' baptism by additionally prescribing baptism for children of believing parents. And the view is founded in three main areas. First of all, infants were circumcised in the Old Covenant. Baptism is the sign of the New Covenant as circumcision was the sign of the Old. And there is a continuity between the old and new covenants. Um, so our response to that would, would, be, would be this. The old covenant community was primarily entered into physically by birth, whereas the new covenant is entered into spiritually by rebirth, being born again. Whereas Protestant infant baptism prescribes baptism for those in physical infancy, Believer's baptism insists upon the baptism of those in spiritual infancy, having been born again through the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the Old Covenant community was a mixed community and it was composed of both believers and unbelievers. But the New Covenant community, New Testament church, is technically a congregation of believers. There are very few non-believers as part of most New Testament churches. Though there is a great degree of continuity between the covenants, there is also a substantial discontinuity. The Old Covenant consisted of shadows which pointed to the substance fulfilled in Christ. We need to be careful about directly applying elements of the Old Covenant without recognising the essential distinctions. Passages such as Acts 2.39 also don't affirm the infant baptism position. The promise here we would teach Affirmed, the promise affirmed is the promise of the Holy Spirit and is, it is specifically applied to everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. The fact that the promise is for your children should no more lead us to think that all children are covenant community members as the fact that it is also for all who are far off should lead us to conclude that all people everywhere are. The passage teaches that the Holy Spirit will be given to all whom Christ calls to himself, not that we should baptise children. That's our theological conviction um, regarding believers' baptism. And and we see that pattern established as we look through the book of Acts. And the pattern is believe, repent, be baptised. So I just want to quickly go through the passages on baptism in Acts and the descriptions given by those who were baptised. So we've already gone over acts 2 where peter responds repent and be baptized in verse 41 we read that those who are baptized with those who received his word believe repent be baptized acts 8 there's two accounts of baptism the first occurs in response to the preaching of philip in samaria in verse 12 we read that many were baptized when they believed philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of god in the name of jesus christ believe repent be baptized The second account again involves the ministry of Philip as he encounters the Ethiopian eunuch. After preaching Christ from Isaiah 53 to the eunuch, he requests baptism and Philip obliges. Believe, repent, be baptised. Acts 9 contains the baptism of Paul immediately after his experience on the Damascus road where he believed and he repented and then Ananias was specifically sent to minister to Paul that he might receive sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit believe, repent, be baptised. Acts 10 includes the baptism of Cornelius and presumably his household. After Peter preached the gospel to those who were gathered, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Peter describes this as having received the Holy Spirit and they were baptised. Believe, repent, be baptised. Acts 16 includes two distinct accounts of baptism. The first involves Lydia and her household. And Lydia's baptism is related to the reality that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And her subsequent appeal is based upon her faithfulness. The second account in, in chapter 16 involves the jailer and his household who heard the word of the Lord that was preached to them by Paul and Silas. In verse 34, they rejoiced that he had believed in God. Believe, repent. Be baptized and the final account of baptism is in chapter 19 of Acts and Paul discovers some disciples who'd been baptized into John's baptism of repentance but had not yet received the Holy Spirit and so in response Paul baptizes them lays his hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit believe repent be baptized that's the pattern what about household baptisms you would have heard me mention that a few times there and there's two in act 16 as well as cornelius is implied and advocates of infant baptism believe that these accounts can be used as implicit justification for infant baptism if households were baptized and if those households include infants we have biblical evidence of infant baptism so what are we to make of these claims well i've got a few thoughts first The entire argument is founded upon the presumed presence of infants within the household, and the text itself doesn't give evidence either way. Second, the text in question have clues which at least suggest that all who who were baptised had been converted. Acts 10 explicitly states that Cornelius feared God with all his household. In other words, all in his household were described as fearing God, and those who were baptised were those who feared. Acts 16 describes the baptism of the jailer's household. In verse 31, Paul of Silas says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Surely this doesn't mean that if the jailer believed, his household would be saved. That's not how justification by faith works. So, so the best interpretation of this text is that those who believed will be saved and that those who who were baptized were those who believed in addition the word spoken to his entire household and his entire household rejoiced together so it's they, if they're all one in their rejoicing you'd, you'd say that they're all baptized they're all fearing the Lord and if we look at the, the relationship between 1 Corinthians 1:16, which states that Paul baptized the household of Stephanus And then we look at 1 Corinthians 16, 15, which states that Stephanus' household consisted of devoted converts. The same implications are made there. Believe, repent, be baptized. So in summary, the household in the context of these verses of Acts is best understood as believers in the household or devoted converts in that household. So what does it mean? I've gone through some theology here, haven't I? We've been doing some teaching. What does it mean? It means that while the timing and style of baptism are not absolutely essential to the Christian faith, they are nonetheless important theological convictions that we hold firmly. We love and respect our reformed Protestant brothers and sisters who disagree with believers' baptism, but we believe and subsequently teach it as the biblical form of baptism. We are a Baptist church after all. But what about if you've been baptized as a kid, or sprinkled, as some call it? Should a person be re baptized? That's an interesting point. You know, some people were sprinkled at an early age. And it's important to understand that we should only be baptized once. And if you trusted in Christ at that time, your baptism is valid and need not, indeed should not, be repeated. If, however, ever you experience sprinkling with or immersion in water before being born again and trusting christ we believe that what you experienced wasn't baptism it's more likened to a dedication service where parents dedicate themselves to raising the child to know and love the lord and so as the spirit convicts you you may come to the conclusion yourself that you want to be baptized as the spirit place that desire within you as your own choice in personal obedience to christ so that your baptism is part of your living memory and the question really is this was I truly trusting Christ when I was baptized you see I was baptized when I was nine I was genuinely trusting in Christ when I was baptized as well as any nine-year-old can and I don't remember a day in my life where I have not loved Jesus my brother led me to the Lord when I was three in the lounge room and he was four and a half, and my mum was watching on with her mouth wide open, gaping as a four and a half leads his three-year-old brother to the Lord. I don't remember that. I was three. Who remembers anything from when they were three? But as I said, I don't have a day in my life where I haven't loved Jesus. Um, And my baptism was another step closer to, to Jesus in obedience to him. I believe that that desire was placed in me by the Spirit. But I would say is that when I was 14, that's when my faith really matured as a more adult-like faith rather than as a child-like faith in that sense. So so I guess the question is, when is the right time to be baptised for kids in this room? Well, my answer to that is, first of all, chat with your parents. But if you trust in Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour, then why not get baptised when it feels right for you, when the Spirit places that desire and conviction within you? And then for adults, there should always be seasons of growth and greater periods of maturity in, in the life of those who have trusted in the Gospel. But that doesn't mean we need to be rebaptized each time we experience greater joy and sanctification. You know, however, if you believe that your original experience was prior to truly trusting Christ as your Lord and Saviour, then, if the Spirit puts places on your heart to pursue obedience in that era of being baptized now, then trust the Spirit's leading and guidance there. So, when should a person be baptized after they come to faith in Jesus? We don't find any reasons in the Bible to delay baptism. Acts twenty two sixteen. And now, why do you wait? Rise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on His name as soon as a person trusts christ they should be baptized the scriptures do not speak of a delayed baptism in which a new believer holds off from obedience to be baptized in all accounts in the scriptures baptism is rather immediate and this pattern of somewhat immediate baptism should be emulated unless there are convincing reasons to delay and there might also be some practical considerations like michael um, has been waiting several months now to be baptised which is you know it's not great that he's been waiting but with COVID and winter and restrictions it just meant that we didn't have a really op- opportune time uh, or suitable location until now it's warmer we're not restricted in homes so we can go ahead so how should a person be baptised well though other denominations into local traditions might practice pouring or sprinkling water we practice baptism by full immersion and here are the reasons why first the greek word baptizo literally means to plunge submerge or immerse our english word baptism is a transliteration of the greek baptizo baptizo was used in greek literature to describe the act of immersing something in water or another liquid and it later became the technical term that referred specifically to the Christian ordinance of baptism. And secondly, the representation of union in Christ's death and resurrection is best expressed through immersion. The symbolism of burial in that place of being placed under something. You know, and likewise, resurrection is accomplished by coming out of something, whether grave or tomb. Immersion best symbolises this reality by placing the believer under the water and then bringing them out. Colossians 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised from the dead. And Romans 6.3-4, do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we practice full immersion as a closer picture and symbol of being unified with Christ's burial and resurrection. So where should someone be baptised? You know, the Bible doesn't give us any prescription on where. It, it's, it's basically the prescription is where there's water. Um, and we prefer to practice baptism in the context of the local church in order to allow the congregation to celebrate together in a person's act of obedience and submission. You know, I'm hoping that in the near future, we might even have our own baptistry here at the church. But for now, we can use my pool. We could also use a creek or the river. You know, there's no. I know plenty of people that, on the coast, go to the beach. So, we've had a a pretty deep dive into baptism, haven't we? (laughs) Like the pun, sorry. Um, But it is one of the most joyous days of a Christian's life. It is something to celebrate the public declaration of faith in Jesus Christ and being united with him in his death and resurrection. And now I want to extend invitation to anyone who is feeling convicted today and wants to be baptised. Why not? Why not? You too can be baptised today. There's no reason to delay or wait. If you want to obey the commands of Christ and declare your faith, then why not do that today? why not join with john and michael if you want to do that then you know just shut shut up your hand right now you know everyone's looking um it's a declaration of faith emma wonderful do you want to baptize today well let's do that yes awesome how wonderful so i know also uh, having spoken with um with hunter Hunter made a decision for Christ at the end of last year in one of our services. And yesterday he said he too want to be baptised, but he wants to do it when his mum can be here and she can't today. So we're going to schedule another baptism service in February or March. We'll work out a date. Um, so if the Spirit is leading you and convicting you, to want to be baptised, then we can do that in February or March. We'll work out a date. Um, And so if you're you're like, I do, but I don't want to put my hand up today, (laughs) all right, you've got a few weeks, all right, we'll baptise, we'll do another baptism service in February or March sometime. Um, So, uh, I would like to now, as we end this very in-depth message on baptism, I'd like to, as I mentioned earlier, give an opportunity to hear testimonies of both John and Michael and Emma, if you're up for it, love to hear your testimony too, um, to share as they share their confession of faith in Jesus Christ, and we celebrate them in that. Now, John has pre-recorded his testimony for us today, um, so let's watch that now.